once again, you're listening to What's Up Aboard, the podcast. For those of you who may not know, this is a podcast that focuses on love, life, relationships, and everything in between. Everyone has a story to tell. I just want to know, what's yours? With that being said, one of the weekly goals of this podcast is to help people like you learn from our guests and comprehend information from a different lens of perspective. To all the listeners out there, both old and new, salute. Now let's begin this episode. Over to you, Wardy Ward. Thank you for that introduction, Mr. Ward. As you guys know, my name is Wardy Ward. I'm the host of this podcast. It's my pleasure to come to you today. Little housekeeping rules. We want to ask you guys to hit that like, subscribe, and follow button. It really helps us out. We appreciate that. I'm excited to talk to our guest today. She's a PhD student, a millennial mother of one, member of Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated, and the CEO of her own company. We're going to find out all that and more coming up right now on What's Up Award. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Renata Dominique to the show. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. I'm well. How are you? I'm doing wonder tabulous today. So good to have you on the show. I know you're a busy young lady, so let's just dive right into it. Okay, sure. As an uh, iceberg, I like to have people just tell a little bit about themselves and how would you say, or who would you say you are in your own words? Oh yeah. So, I mean, you got it. I'm Renata Dominique. I'm a black millennial mother. I have a three-year-old who mm. I love very much. Okay. I am a, a PhD student. And at a local university in Virginia. And I just, I'm me and I make that up as I go. Mm. <laughs> you know, Best you way know. to do it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we come into contact with so many different versions of ourselves at different points in our lives. I think it's hard to say this is who I am because we're always changing and shifting and adjusting. Mm-hmm. So I make it up every day. As I know. Yeah. But I know I'm a nice person. I'm, I'm a nice person. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good to know. They say every seven years, you you pretty much become a whole new person. You know, I'm finding that to be true in my life as well. So making it up as you go is definitely a way I'm going to consider moving forward here. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you're only child? I'm not. I'm not. I have three other siblings. Hmm. Uh, I'm third in line. Yeah, so I, I've learned from their experience and their mistakes. <laughs> oh, so, so it's three more, and you're you're number three. So there's four yep. y'all total. So you're because mm-hmm. one after you. Yep. Okay, good to know. Good to know. Um, I also noticed that you have been on your lock journey. How long has that been going on? Oh yeah, I have been a part of the lock gang for 13 years in August. Ooh, 13! Wow. 13 years. Yep. Mm-hmm. You just wanted to give up the uh, creamy crack. You didn't want to do that no more. Or? Well, I never really did that. <laughs> um, as a young child, I think most little black girls had that story of their mom, you know, putting a relaxer or permanent hair, right? So I'm a part of that uh, that story too. But middle school, high school, my mom told me she wasn't doing my hair anymore. I said, okay, sure. So I've had been natural since then. And I, you know, it's actually a story. Most places that I've come to and how I've gotten here it starts with a story yeah. and that's what I believe the how our lives are created and developed right and so mm-hmm. I was walking to school I was in elementary school and uh in DC we can walk it's, it's, we don't take like school buses and stuff like that so we just either walk or you get on public transportation mm-hmm. but I live close enough that I could walk and I remember 
crossing the street and glancing over at this the gas station. There was an Exxon on the corner. And there was a man there, tall man, probably about 6'3", I'd guess. Mm -hmm. And he had locks all the way down, practically touching the ground. And from his roots till about mid-back, it was just gray, like white. Mm. And the rest was dark, you know, brown, maybe black. And I, I thought it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life. And so I told myself that I want, I want my hair to look like that. And so I started my locks after my first year of college from that inspiration. Will I keep them that long until I'm older? Probably not, but that's how I was introduced to locks. <laughs> so your goal is to have gray locks to be like the you guy. Know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, now I could dye them. I could just dye them. And yeah. Be that, But I think it was more so just that the experience. Like you could just see that journey mm -hmm. through locks and I've, I've experienced a lot with my locks they certainly had their own stories to tell okay so i'll have them for as long as they'll have me <laughs> yeah so you if i if i'm correct on this uh, you wash them you have to put like a um, baking soda or, or um, oh if i want to like detox yeah is that what they call it yeah it's an apple cider yeah 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 mm -hmm. I, ooh, I bet that's a special feeling so you don't have oh. to do anything to it do you, you just just get up and go yeah, yeah. The longer they are, the easier they are to manage. I don't, I probably retwist maybe four times a year. Mm. Six if I have some extra special things to do. But otherwise, I just kind of get up, spray them to keep it moisturized and just go. You put a big uh, bonnet thing on that night? That no. Long... <laughs> I do have a scarf, a satin scarf that I use. Satin is important yes. for moisture retention, but I can't do bonnets. So. Okay. All right, good to know. So uh, we had mentioned earlier that you're a PhD student. Tell us about that whole journey and how that came about, because I don't know too many PhDs. I don't know any other than you. So tell me, how okay. did it yeah. come about? So I have wanted to get my PhD in English since high school. And most okay. people are like, what? Like that was a dream? Yes, it definitely was a dream, but it wasn't a dream that I started with. I had a TA in high school. So I went to Duke Ellington School of the Arts. That's Ooh. a performing arts school in Washington, DC. And there was a TA there and she just said, you know, I could see you with doctor in front of your name. And no one had ever said anything like that to me before. No one had ever spoke that kind of life into me. And it just, it changed my life. And that became the the goal that became the plan because I was good at English and so I was trying to figure out what to do like I'm only good at English don't ask me anything about math <laughs> ask anything about history I just mix up all the dates and stuff but English writing reading I, I can do that all day mm. <laughs> so that became the the goal and everything I've done since then has led to this moment so I completed my undergraduate studies at U. well I started at Seton Hall okay. and then I transferred to UNC Charlotte where I got my bachelor's in English. And then I went to North Carolina Central and I got my master's there in English uh, literature, and literature and language, sorry. And then I knew that I wanted to keep going, but I didn't know how I was going to afford it. And yeah. then the same could be said for my master's. So I knew I wanted to get my master's, but I didn't really know how I could afford it. And so this is a story that I put. So I have a short story in a chicken soup for the soul. And I wrote a bit about my experience there. 
and I prayed before I did my application for my master's. I said, Lord, you know my heart, you know my desires, just get me in and mm. I'll do the rest. Yes. Took a deep breath and I pressed submit and I just let it be. And go. so uh, a couple months later for my master's, they sent me back. I was accepted conditionally. Uh-oh. <laughs> right? And so they said, you know, you have to maintain these certain amount of grades or grade point average for the first year or so, and then you'll be good. Wow. And I said, that, I said, that's what I asked for. I said, just get me in. I can do the rest. And they just let me in. Yeah. And so I did the rest and I did that program. I completed my master, my master's thesis in record time. The graduate studies, the director said that he'd never seen someone complete their thesis so quickly. And I said, because you don't know me. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. You know, you don't know what I can do. Mm-hmm. And so the same thing, I kept going and I said, okay, I, I, my plan, I could stop here at a master's because not many of my friends have master's degrees, right? Mm-hmm. But I said, but that's not my plan. And I can't shortchange myself. I have right. wanted this PhD for forever. And so I found a school that didn't need the GRE because yeah. I hate taking tests. I know, that's right. <laughs> and I found uh, George Mason. So that's where I am. I found George, George Mason. I applied for the assistantship there as well because I financially, I was I didn't know how I was going to, how I was going to do it. And I said my prayer again. I said, Lord, just just get me in. I've gotten this far. Like, I, this can't be the end of the road for me. Yeah. They sent me a, a, a email, like, through their portal to say, you know, congratulations, your acceptance and for your assistantship. And so I have been going to school virtually for free because I teach um, composition on campus. So it's like a, tu- a tuition reimbursement type thing. So okay. as a as a TA on campus, they that allows me X amount of credits, free credits a year, so I can use those credits towards my coursework. And they give me like a stipend, which pays the bills and stuff. So wow. I have all that to say, I've virtually completed my master's without incurring any additional debt because I also worked at the writing center and got an assistantship there. And mm-hmm. I'm completing my PhD without any additional debt because I've That's been providing which any other person in my position would be hundreds and hundreds of thousand dollars in debt and I'm grateful to only have the debt for my undergraduate degree so Mm -hmm. when I say like my steps have been ordered and it's been divine it really has been because there's no other way that I could explain how I've been able to get to this point on my own Mm -hmm. and my dreams are literally manifesting right and that like everything I've done has been purposeful it's it's been like on this trajectory and I've just stayed stayed that course and it's been working out for me wow that's how I got here (laughs) that's amazing so have you worked a regular job at all during this time or have you just been in school the last few years for the past three for the past three years I've been in school so I started my program in the fall of 2019 Uh and I've been teaching since then I do some tutoring okay. like you mentioned, I have my business so I've been uh, assisting students as well as professionals working professionals with their writing so that's all I've been doing and and it is a sacrifice I will say that like I said they do give me an assistantship and it does pay the bills but it's very it's bare minimum you know and yeah. I but I know that in order for me to complete my program in a timely fashion, I have to make these sacrifices. So I'm not taking on any extra jobs or things like that because 
I don't want much to interfere with what I have going on. Mm. So. Okay. So you say it's bare minimum. So you're not really going out and partying or anything. Or I not- mean, I'm doing that minimally. I mean, <laughs> okay. you have to consider once I started, then there was COVID. So it didn't true. really matter. That's true. If I was going out or not. And so now this past year or so, when things are kind of opening up and people are becoming a bit more comfortable, now it's like, oh, I probably should be social. Yeah, <laughs> so get out there. I've, I've been doing some social things here or there uh, when I can. But I think everybody knows that once the school year starts, so August 1, just when the, the floodgates open, from August to December, don't talk to me, don't call me, don't ask me to go anywhere because I have to focus. Wow. <laughs> I see you on winter break, I see you on spring break, mm-hmm. and then summertime. I, I see you in the summer. So. Wow. Well, what's a typical day like for you? So, typical day. I'm blessed in that I have some some leisure and I have a toddler who's always been a late sleeper. And so she is starting a pre-K three. So it's going to be a shock for both of us. But I have the the leisure. I'm blessed to be able to schedule meetings for when I want to. So which don't normally occur before 11. Mm -hmm, (laughs) So mm -hmm. I can get up at 10, somewhere around there and just kind of ease into the day. And um, so we get up, you know, we have our morning routines. We do our self-care. She, Xavier, my daughter, has her own self-care routine in the morning. Mm -hmm. Eat breakfast and I turn on something educational for her. And I'm answering emails or responding to student requests or things like that, grading papers. Somewhere in there, I'm reading articles, trying to under, trying to gain some momentum that's hard to do on your own sometimes when you're in this, this space of the PhD program, which would be after coursework, but not necessarily into dissertation. You still have a lot to do, but now it's your own your own kind of momentum that you have to work on because no one's telling you what to do. You just have to do it. Okay. Uh, There are meetings there. So sometimes I could be sitting at my computer for about three or four hours straight because I have meetings that are back to back. And then of course, feeding Xavier lunch and taking outside to run around a bit. Oh yeah. (laughs) Got to burn that energy off. Right. Uh, We may have a dance party, put on something on YouTube, something to get me up and moving. But after that, then 6 p.m. dinner, bath, bed by nine. I'm trying to get us there. Okay. <laughs> like I said, we've been, we've, it, it's kind of there, but loosely. But now that she's starting school, I have to get her on schedule. So mm-hmm. part of it is what I hope for. The other part is kind of what we do, which is really loose. I've been fortunate and blessed to be able to have a very flexible schedule for these past three years, so much so that Xavier has been home with me this entire time, but I'm still able to work. I'm still able to fulfill my duties as a student, as a professor, as a parent. And I will say it's been a sacrifice on that parent piece because I am in front of the computer a bit more than I'd I'd like Mm -hmm. when it comes to interacting with her. So that's something I kind of struggle with, but ultimately I know that the sooner I'm done, the more time she has with me in those years that really, really count. Yes. And even though I have been focusing on my own studies, Xavier hasn't lacked. Like she's super smart, very uh, intuitive. She is her own person. And so while I don't take credit for what she's 
learned because there are things she surprises me with okay i do take credit for how she's learned it right so mm-hmm. she's not watching mindless youtube videos every day everything is educational it has a purpose and all those things and so i'm at the point now where i think i've done all i can do for her mm-hmm. so now it's time for her to get that social setting while okay. she's learning. so i'm excited am i nervous because of covid because of monkeypox yeah but you just kind of have to lay it out and, right. you know, say an extra prayer. And Absolutely. from from what I know, the Lord be answering my prayers. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Definitely that. So uh, what, what are you going to do when you graduate? What's the next step after you, okay, you got your PhD, you're official now. What do you do then? You know, the world is really my oyster and I'll, but there is uh, anxiety there. And I'll okay. share with you some of the pitfalls to education is that at the PhD level, they don't tell you or give you the tools you need to operate outside of academia. Mm-hmm. So the assumption is if you're getting your PhD, it's because you want to teach, it's because you want to be tenured, because you want to you know, do something in academia. So they don't really focus on those transferable skills that would allow you to excel elsewhere. And so that's what I've been contending with is, well, what can I do if I don't want to be tenure, if I don't want to teach, if I don't want to do anything related to what can I do? And I have my eyes have been opened by applying to jobs and they tell me, oh, you'd be really well in our curriculum development department or in our teaching and learning something. It's still related to teaching, but it's just different. Yes. You know, Um, and then there are people who tell me based on what my focus is, I could do diversity, equity, inclusion, right? And Mm -hmm. be a or consulting or something like that. So I know that there are options. The hard part for me and I think a lot of PhD students is knowing what those options are and how to market that on our resume when it really does seem like just one kind of sector that is education. Mm-hmm. So, I haven't decided, uh, but tell me, <laughs> Tell me, I guess I want to know, Explain a little more about your specific degree. What what does it, uh, how would you use it? I mean, how would you, like say you were in a job and you were there now, what would you do? Like, how do you help somebody else? Please. So, yeah, that's a, that's a interesting question. So I'm getting a degree in English, but specifically writing and rhetoric. Oh, writing and, and rhetoric. Yes. And so essentially what that looks like from what I'm learning, because I'm also learning, right? Okay. I know what that does in academia, right? But outside of academia, what does that do? And I I believe from what I'm gathering is that in addition addition to my teaching, in addition to, you know, the experience that I've gained there, I think writing and rhetoric puts me in a unique position to be more in tune or more aware of the public and the different needs of the public and how to communicate with different people at different times, depending on different situations. Okay. And so what I'm doing now, you know, we talk about the rhetorical situation. So if we're creating this situation, how would we interact with these particular this particular audience in this situation so we would have to analyze the situation analyze the genre analyze the audience analyze all these things to say if this then i would do that Mm -hmm. 
And that's not something you get from a lot of other disciplines. Maybe in, I would say sociology, maybe um, anthropology, those things that kind of rely on that interconnectedness with people. Yes. But I think writing and rhetoric takes it a step further to say, I would say this, right? I would speak this, I would write this, and this is how I would do this based on an, the analysis of these different components. Um, and so with how that shows up in a space outside of academia, if I'm doing diversity, equity, and inclusion, I'm coming in it, maybe if I have a sociologist on the team or, or a, a cultural anthropologists on the team mm -hmm. together we would be looking not only at what the purposes or with the outcomes or the desires of the corporation the entity the institution but we would make sure that whatever those outcomes are that they would be inclusive of all these different people different culture different this as much as we possibly could right and so yeah. I think that's how it comes up or could show up in a professional setting outside of academia. Okay. So are you able to help? Like, I know you're near the DC area. Uh, could you actually do like speeches for congressmen? Help I them? could definitely write a speech. I think I could write a speech. And so I think the misconception for writing and rhetoric is that you can tell me what you want and I could generate it like I can pull it from your mind like it's not that it, it's a it's, it requires communication right it can, requires a connection but what I could do is provide you with the research to say these are the types of people who may be in this audience mm. if you have your audience in mind because you can't know what you want to say without knowing who you're talking to I like that and so for me the question always is who's your audience because you have to make sure that you understand where they're coming from, their prior knowledge, their their foundation, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And how they take in information best to then know what you need to say to them. Because what you don't want to do is insult the audience by telling them things they already know. Yeah. Or by saying things or using specific verbiage that are outside of their vocabulary or outside of their zone of you know pro development you don't want to do that right yes. because they're not listening to you mm -hmm. so i think when it comes to speech writing especially for congressmen or if they don't have someone who does like communications or rhetoric or something on their team they really are doing themselves a disservice because you lose their audience oh yeah but there are things you're not thinking about when you are communicating with your audience and okay. we see that all the time on twitter right or when yep. you speak sometimes you're like wait what you said what <laughs> so yeah 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 so you you could possibly uh write say trump's speech if he wanted to run again you could help him to reach different uh audiences well no because he wouldn't like what i had to say <laughs> <laughs> okay we'll, we'll leave that one alone then i'll just make it sure but i, I think that's what you're saying you can help i mean i could to i could a lot of that would be because what you want to do if i'm writing a speech i want to write it in your tone right your tone is important okay how you say things is important so I can't just write it on my own and use, so this is what I would say. I have to also consider what this person would say and how they'd say it. And for someone like Donald Trump, in my opinion, that would be hard for me to do. So I wouldn't I wouldn't put myself in that position. Somebody could, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I, I couldn't because I just don't have that. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah I not, understand. <laughs> so, so you'd have to sit down with with the person, get it from there, just to get the feelings of it. Mm-hmm. So, so you're you're a really good listener, I take it then. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm a good listener, and I and I I think I do well with. Sometimes it's to my detriment reading between the lines Ooh. and and seeing what's being said and what's not being said, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so sometimes. It like I said, it it could be to my detriment because people are like, well, that's not what I said. I'm like, well, based mm. on what you said, this is how it could be interpreted. And I do credit a lot of that from my studies thus far, in that awareness of what you say and how it can be interpreted across cultures, right, across people. And so, nine times out of ten, I am very conscious and aware of what I say and how I say it because I know that that inter- once once it leaves my mouth once it I leave it on the paper it yeah. doesn't matter what I intended to say all that matters is how it's interpreted true and that is what gets spread and so for people who are in the public eye who you know tweet and who do all these things I think sometimes they forget that it's it, and you can backtrack and you can kind of eat your words a bit, but mm-hmm. that, that doesn't matter. We know that words have impact. And so yeah, for do. me, when it comes to writing, when it comes to speaking and in communicating with people, I do take a bit longer, not not a long time, but I'm conscious and aware of what I say and how I say it because mm-hmm. of all the research and all the knowledge that I possess. And that's what I give to or extend to those who I assist with writing. You said this, but you maybe you could say it this way, or or this is a really, you know, harsh word, or this is a really charged kind of sentence, maybe kind of softening a bit. And that only comes through knowing who you're talking to, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And, and how you want them to interact with what you're saying. So in some instances, harsh words and super sharp words matter, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. But it all depends on who your audience is and how you want them to respond to what you're saying. Absolutely. So, so your your dude don't stand a chance with you in an argument. I take it. He, he couldn't. <laughs> well, he's pretty intellectual too. Okay. Uh, I find myself getting getting um choked up and 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 stuttering a little bit when I, when I talk to him. <laughs> okay. Because if you can think, like he he thinks and he he can make connections and things, and he challenges. Okay. what I say and, and some of my views and so and it makes for really healthy conversations and ultimately learning each other a bit deeply and a bit better you know we have those surface level conversations but it's really those deep ones those kind of conspiracy theory existential conversations that we really learn about one another mm-hmm. in a way that helps our relationship so good good yeah <laughs> let me ask you this is there something that you wish you had known at the beginning of your program that you now know? Like, wow, this could have been a lot easier if I knew we would do this. All right, welcome back from the break, everybody. Again, my name is Woody Ward, and this is What's Up Before the Podcast. We talk to our favorite soon-to-be PhD, Renata Dominique. Hey, how's it going? All right, all right. Hey, I got one or two questions uh, left about your PhD program. My first one is, is there something that you wish you would have known uh, in the beginning that you now know that you think maybe could have helped you or relieved some stress? Hmm. 
going into that oh, program? For sure. for sure. So, so I'm in a writing and rhetoric program, which is English, but my master's was in literature and language. And so I wish someone would have told me that those are worlds apart in the English umbrella. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you have literature that has its own theories, its own heavy hitters, right? And then you have writing and rhetoric that has entirely different theories, different heavy hitters, different focus when it comes to education. And so my first semester on campus, I was already dealing with a a lot. I had a three-month-old. I was uh, breastfeeding. I was doing like a lot of stuff. And then I get into the classroom and they're mentioning all these names, all these Smagorinsky and and Burke and all these people. And I'm like, who? Who are I don't know none of I don't know none of these people. None of their names sound familiar to me. But everybody else in class seemed to be aware or, or a bit more aware than I was. And it really did something to me. I was second guessing. I was ca- calling my mentor who had told me to go into Comp Red. I love Dr. Jackson. She's at North Carolina Central. And I said, you know, I don't think I can do this. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know what they're talking about. I don't know. I don't know. I know nothing. It's like I'm behind the curve. And she said, if you if if you weren't supposed to be there, then they wouldn't have accepted you. I said, okay, okay. So, but that first semester was really hard because I didn't realize that there was there was a learning curve and I was behind it. Mm-hmm. So I wish someone, at least Dr. Jackson, would have told me that I had to do some work over the summer (laughs) to prepare for this program. That's the one thing that I wish I would have known. And the other is just the creation or the development of composition, period. So it's writing and rhetoric, but that's heavily influenced uh, or influenced by composition. And so like think of your first year writing courses, right? And that normally falls under, it's in English, but it falls under a composition program. And so I wish someone would have told me more about the history of composition and how it came to be and that uh, tension between composition, writing and rhetoric, and literature, because it very much so is a lot of tension there in the development of uh, the composition program. So that would have made a huge difference, too, in understanding that history a bit better to then figure out how I fit as a Black woman in the program, Mm. because it, it it was difficult trying to find researchers who look like me trying to find you know articles that kind of reflected my experience and that's actually what I'm working on now for my dissertation project so understanding who where the black people are the black mm-hmm. experience in composition who's writing about that experience and how um, because the representation is just not there and if it is there it's hard to find so um, I wish I would have known those two things those are the big things yeah okay well do you happen to know the success rate or the graduation uh, rate for people in this program I don't so they I know that they give you I believe seven it may be seven or ten years to complete the program. Yeah. And from my understanding, people can take that whole ten years. Most people kind of average around seven. Um, I am not giving them that long. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I very few I've seen. Some do it in four. But I think four for this program, this, this type of program, is like the, the minimum. 
Yeah. So, so that's after your bachelor's. You said another seven years after that, or, or even after your master's. After your master's, so they so they do allow you to transfer your credits from your master's program into your PhD work, but okay. you also still have your coursework for the PhD, which could take two or three years, depending on how many classes you take per semester. Okay. Most people take three years, but some could take two. That's how you finish your program in four, maybe five years. Hmm. Now, if I remember correctly, you taught high school for a minute, didn't you? I, I did. Okay. I did. I taught high school for two years in North Carolina uh, at a, a school in Oxford, North Carolina. And totally different, totally different experience, different people, students are different. Uh, but the issues are similar to your city it's all students the only difference is they wear camo a little bit more and they like hunting they they go hunting and stuff you know <laughs> that's yeah. pretty much the only I've difference that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> i remember i had a student who wasn't doing so well and his mom said you know if he doesn't if he doesn't pass this quarter then he won't be able to start hunting season like next week or something and i was like wow that's a that's the recourse, okay. Wow. Okay then. Yeah, yeah. And the, the student was really upset about it. It's either you can't go hunting or you can't ride the four wheeler. That's that that was the consequence for them down there. Okay then. Wow. All right. Uh let me move on to my next point. I wanted to jump on. You had mentioned uh your little bundle of joy, uh, Xavier. Uh, is that right? Mm -hmm. Xavier, is that her name? I like that name. That's your her name is Xavier. Xavier. So you could have went mm -hmm. either way, boy or girl then. How'd you come up with that name? So I have loved that name since I was a kid in my neighborhood. There was a lady who lived across the way from us and her name was Xavier. And that was the only Xavier um, that I knew who was a woman. Okay. And I told myself then I probably was like elementary school. Like I'm gonna name my daughter that because I don't know anybody else. I, I like being different. I like going against the grain. Everybody who knows me knows that. Don't expect anything traditional from me. Uh, and so this is right up my alley. So I named my daughter Xavier because I like the name. I like I like it as a male or female name, but I like it yeah. more as a female name. So, okay. but that's the the only downside is when I say, "Oh, my daughter's name is Xavier." People in their mind they say, "Oh, he." I just said yes. my daughter. <laughs> so it trips people up sometimes, but I don't regret naming her that at all. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I do like that. I'm going to ask you about uh, Xavier because. I had kids and it kind of changed my life in a way I never imagined. Did you ever think you could love someone as much as you loved your daughter? You know, I I would say that I felt like I would love a husband, right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. now I like experiencing a child's love, that unconditional love, it's it's a different type of feeling, right? Yeah, it's a different right. type of vibe. And I can say that through her, her being born and, you know, having her primarily, it has changed my life in a lot of ways in that she, I had to be courageous. Like I had to, I had to make some really tough decisions with mm. her in mind. I wanted to give her the absolute best of me. Okay. And so, I, so it's not that she, you know, forced me to grow up because I've, 
I'm very much so mature and, and, you know, I'm a holistic thinker and all types of things, but there were certain elements of my life that I had to alter to make sure that I was my best self for her. And so I think if anything, she's taught me how to be courageous and and stand on my word and Mm. make sure that I put myself first or consider myself more often than not. And I think those are the lessons that I've learned from her. I have to stick up for myself in order to stick up for her and do the best that can be done for her. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I know that uh, I read your story about uh, breastfeeding. I want to touch on that a little bit uh, because I know that breastfeeding is important, especially because it has the nutrients baby needs, including protein, carbs, fat, calcium, vitamins, and minerals, and, and it's instant. Um, I know that had, that I mean, yeah, I actually read a study there saying is maybe people shouldn't do it, but I want to touch on your story because it, it was, it was very personal. You, you had mentioned that you, uh, felt bad when you, when your baby was crying, was hungry and you couldn't address her the way you wanted to. Uh, I just want to touch on that a little bit if you want. Yeah. So I knew that I wanted to, um, nurse right I, I wanted to breastfeed I spent months before Xavier was born studying and just trying to learn everything that I could about it because you know we come from where I come from a generation that it wasn't it wasn't super prevalent like it was definitely formula and nothing is wrong with formula I think fed is best right and how you choose to feed your child is how you choose and there's some people who prefer uh formula and those things that are created for babies who sometimes have allergies to their mom's breast milk or you know oh, just can't wow. handle it uh to those who who are able to successfully nurse for three months six months however long they choose right yeah uh and so for me when it came time to it, it was a very hard, it was very painful, right? And it, these are things that nobody can really prepare you for. It, it's one of those things, a lot of times when women become pregnant, they don't know what type of pregnancy they'll have. There are women who deal with sickness the entire time. They have to mm-hmm. be on bed rest. There are women who lose their teeth and their Whoa. hair. But you don't know these things happen until it happens, right? <laughs> but it's like deciding to birth a child is literally life altering from the moment that little little squiggly implants itself in the uterus right it changes immediately but sometimes we don't know how that looks or how that reveals itself until you're in it and it's too late to turn back Mm -hmm. and so for me i had a medically perfect pregnancy there was nothing wrong you know but um after xavier was born so she was born she was over nine pounds Um, wow that's that's yeah, yeah She, she was big. She's still big. Okay. <laughs> uh, she's tall. She's tall. And she's a little solid. But um, so it was a very difficult, um, very difficult delivery because of her size. And we didn't know that she was going to be that big. But even after just trying to get into breastfeeding, it was really, it was hard. You have to deal with, you know, engorgement. So your body is like, I need to produce milk. But the milk is not going anywhere. So you're like in pain or maybe your body has to get used to this type of trauma, right? Someone is needing this part of your body that hasn't been used in these ways. And so it has to, 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 you know, familiarize itself with this different type of function. And so then they're bleeding and they're cracking and there's a whole bunch of stuff, right? But you still have to produce for your child. (laughs) Um, And so I was never an overproducer. 
Okay. I, my body just produced just enough that was needed for Xavier during that time. And it didn't really start, it didn't really become an issue until she started daycare. And that's a whole different arena. Our daycare, I know our daycare providers do a lot, but mm. I just saw the disparity and, and the experience and knowledge and know-how. I just was really blown away by that lack that was there. Mm. And so I would bring her bottles there, enough that I knew she needed. And they would tell me I needed to bring ounces and ounces and ounces of milk. I said, well, she's breastfed. So this is a different kind of substance this right. is you know she don't need that much right, yeah. <laughs> but, but they were telling me that i needed more or to mix it or to do things that i didn't want to do and i mm -hmm. and i one time i almost started crying because oh, i'm this was her first time and they were trying to tell me about my child mm -hmm. instead of listening to me tell them Mm. And so for them, and so I told them, I said, well, if she cries, that doesn't mean she's hungry every time. That means you might have to play with her. That means you might have to do something, but sure. it doesn't mean, she, you know, she needs milk. And I think to my detriment, there were babies who were in that daycare during that time who were not breastfed. So they had these 12 ounce bottles full of watery milk and stuff, right? Yeah. Uh -huh. That they would drinking and I would bring Xavier's, you know, four ounce bottles of breast milk and it was just different. So it was a very hard um, situation for me as a new mom to be in because I felt like people weren't listening to me and, and they didn't have the know-how for babies that were breastfed, right? And so the pandemic happened, of course. So after about eight months, she was at home with me and I didn't have to really concern myself with it. But that experience really made me feel that I wasn't doing enough as a mom, for, uh, you know, preparing for Xavier when I really was pumping just as much as she needed. Okay. So, yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's a lot around breastfeeding and nursing that a lot of people... There are misconceptions they don't know they're not informed and it's not their their issue right it's not not their problem that they that they don't know i think we are learning a lot about the powers of breast milk and all that it can do i mean i was putting breast milk in her hair when she got mosquito bites i was putting it on she would bathe in it mm -hmm. you know if she was congested i would just you know like saline because it just it just did so much yeah, and, I and, I, and I saw for myself the power that was in breast milk and the fact that it changes as she grows mm -hmm. like it's just you nobody will ever be able to convince me that breast milk is not the best milk i'm right. sorry i'm with you you can feed your baby whatever you want but any child that i'm having this this that's what this is what they gonna have <laughs> yeah are you guys planning on having more kids or or is this I do. it i do plan to have more um, I'm not sure when, I'm not sure how many, but I do plan to have more. I know that I want to get this part of my career kind of under my belt first and mm -hmm. then, and then see what it is. You know, I don't believe in, and I never believed in stopping what I was doing or putting my dreams on hold because I had a child, because I'm having a child. And I started that really when I first became pregnant. You know, I, I'm Renata first. I've always been Renata. So I'm Renata first, and then I'm Xavier's mom. Mm -hmm. 
And that really helped me when she was born because I didn't experience mom guilt. You know, I didn't have an issue with letting her stay with my mom or something. I can go and just kind of focus on me and have my fun, right? I I didn't I didn't deal with those issues because right at the beginning, I, I told myself I have to be in tune with me so that I can do and what I need to do for her. Absolutely. And so that that was really really important to me and that even included my phd program like i said i started she was three months old and i was starting my my program in the fall i'm dealing with seasonal depression because it's getting dark or yeah. <laughs> early and my classes are at night and i gotta bring my 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 uh, pump to to campus with me and find the lactation room to pump and keep it cold and it's, it was a lot, but I was determined to not give up and not say, you know, let me just take a leave. I know because, you know, it's harder to to pick back up after you you decrease that momentum. If you're in motion, stay in motion. I was already in motion, so stay yep. in motion. That's true. Yeah, you're right. So were you worried about uh, losing baby weight or, or how did you deal with that? Did you have, because it seemed like you're a busy person. <laughs> did you have time to get it in in the gym too or did you just walk to school or so, yeah yeah I I'll say it wasn't the weight was a concern I was concerned I'll say that and I think so, so breastfeeding does help you lose some of that baby, baby that. weight not immediately so mine was a bit delayed it, it was probably six or to eight months after that literally I lost 30 pounds and I couldn't tell nobody how I lost it <laughs> it just it was just gone and I just kind of kept going from there mm-hmm. but I do think but you have to consider when you have a child you are maybe eating when they eat but you're also looking at, so what I did was Xavier, she had her bowl, her plates and stuff, and I would use her plates and that helped me with portion size. So if I was eating when she ate, that's fine, but my portions were smaller. And I would do some things at home, some home workouts and things like that. We used to go and walk two miles and stuff, but I think most of it was uh, breastfeeding and lifting her and taking her, that's right? Good. That's a yeah. lot of, of activity that we don't think about. You know, I'm lifting up a 10 15 pound baby in the car seat walking this pushing a stroller you know those are all things so I think all of that together helped me see some weight loss and I wasn't stressing stressing over it but it was a concern I think it's a concern for most women because you are sometimes at your heaviest you're like what in the world what what is going on right but I won't say I was obsessing over it because I, I knew I had a lot going on, right? Yeah, and there was yeah. some stress there. I wasn't sleeping a lot, right? But I, I think for me, that 30 pounds that just kind of disappeared, I think that was because of breastfeeding. Mm. Well, I know you're a swimmer too, because word on the street is you, you have this <laughs> hair wrap that keeps locks from getting wet. And uh, that was pretty interesting. I just got that. I. Oh yeah, I just got that uh, You Go Natural, shout out to y'all. I got that uh, swim turban and I, I do plan on using it. Not this season, of course, but now I know and I have it for next season. I do enjoy the water. Okay. I enjoy um, swimming. And so hopefully because I have it now, I can, cause I want Xavier to swim as well. I, I was gonna I ask you that. Tried to start her. I tried to start her when she was six months, but that's when the pandemic just, you know, became a thing thing. And so they canceled her classes. But I do believe that all people should know how to swim well. 
and efficiently mm-hmm. enough to survive. Right. And and the sooner you start, the earlier you start, the better. And so I certainly we're b- delayed a little bit, but that's fine. I think she's still at an age where she can love water and become acclimated to it. And so if I can get her into swimming, then I'll probably get myself into swimming too to become a stronger swimmer. Mm-hmm. I want to have that courage to be able to, to jump off the diving board. I've never jumped off a diving Me board either. before in my life. <laughs> Me but I want to have that courage. If I go on vacation, I want to jump into the little little cave jump thing and uh <laughs> and no, I'm not going to drown. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm more of a watcher, but yeah. Okay. All right. Uh so yeah, I want to ask you too about so you pledged a sorority. When did you have time to do that? And and at what point in life did you pledge? And which sorority? Right. So I did pledge a sorority, Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated, uh, founded in Indianapolis, Indiana, Butler University. And I did that in undergrad. So after I transferred from you, uh, I transferred from Seton Hall. Sorry. After I transferred from Seton Hall, uh, after two years, I went down to UNC Charlotte and just loved it. I didn't know anybody there. I just knew I had to transfer because Seton Hall was becoming a bit too transferred to UNC Charlotte and found my people. I joined the uh, Voices of Eden gospel choir down there. Shout out to y'all. And I also, in my semi-senior year, joined Sigma Gamma Rho with the New Rho chapter because mm-hmm. I was just, you know, looking for a place to fit. And my brother, he had become a member of Phi Beta Sigma a couple of years before I joined Sigma Gamma Rho. So mm-hmm. he was my first introduction into Greek life and so I just kind of did my research and I figured out which one kind of meshed with me the most and no shade to any of the other sister Greeks you know they all have their pros but I just felt that Sigma called to me Mm -hmm. in ways that I could stay authentic I could stay myself and I could add to the overall mission and so it's been a really good ride I joined in the spring of 2013 so it's been quite a while um okay. i think i've classified as ohead at this point <laughs> <laughs> but uh it's it's been good it's been good i've been able to leave my sigma imprint and i'm still making an imprint um an impact in sigma today so. okay good yeah so what do you see yourself in say three years from now what's next So I'll be done with my PhD. I'll be Dr. Renata Dominique. I will have a first grader, I think, or second grader, which blows my mind. (laughs) Yeah, maybe a first grader. I will will be remarried. So I'm currently engaged. I'll be remarried and maybe expanding my family, uh, maybe finding an institution to teach Mm -hmm. at. Um, I do have my own businesses. So First in Composition is my writing and speaking studio. That I, and I work with students and the working professionals on their writing. Um, so working a bit on that, expanding that, and any other ventures that I'm currently working on yeah, <laughs> that yeah. I don't want to say too much about, right? But okay. I, I certainly plan to leave a good legacy and to create that foundation for my children and my family to continue to build on. Mm, I like that. Again, we're talking to Renata Dominique about her story right here on What's Up Award. 
We're going to move to our final section of the show right now. I know time is going by fast, so I want to get these questions in. It's called the, the rapid fire section, so I really enjoy this. So the first question is a either or and why. If you had to choose one, who would it be? Malcolm X or Martin Luther King? Ooh, dang, you come out the door with the heart. Come out there with it. Malcolm X or Martin Luther King? I am rational. I, I, I'm, I'm more kind of... I'm radical when I need to be, but mm-hmm. I'm more so on the, the low key side. And let's talk about it. Let's let's argue. You know, let's let's do those types of things. And then if I need to, you know, take it up a notch, and I will. But that's not. I'm not coming out the gate like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to say that Malcolm X wasn't versatile because he was, but uh, just that delivery is different. I think my delivery rested it more with Martin than Malcolm. Mm. Okay. If you could only attend. One of these concerts, who would it be? Michael Jackson or Chris Brown? Michael Jackson. <laughs> so you're not oh, a Chris yeah, Brown fan? I am a Chris Brown fan, but I was a Michael Jackson fan first, and I'm still a Michael Jackson fan. I'm so when when I when my mom texts me, I was on the train coming back home from school, and she told me that um, he was in cardiac arrest. I nearly fell fell out on the train. I was oh. in DC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I nearly fell out on that train. I just oh, it hurt me so deeply. It yeah. really did. Yeah, it it hurt me shock. so deeply. I, I've always been a Michael fan. I've been a Janet fan. I just mm-hmm. I loved it. We would listen to their. on rotation we pick pick parts and sing sing them yeah <laughs> every Christmas for hours and hours and hours so definitely a talent fan I, I was more of a Tito fan I think Tito was the breakout star that didn't get his credit but that's just me yeah, okay. I can see that <laughs> yeah if you could change anything about yourself overnight what would it be one thing you could change my eyesight <laughs> absolutely yeah, that, that definitely yeah. <laughs> If I could have 2020 vision, that'd be great. You know, just just fix it, Jesus, please. Yeah. Well, you know you can get LASIK. I used to be a LASIK salesman. I can't. I can't get LASIK. They told me, so I have an astigmatism and a lazy eye. Lazy eye isn't so obvious unless I got to hold my eyes open for a long time. Mm-hmm. But they told me, I went I went to go try. They said, if you're, you're I've been lazy this whole time, it's going to stay lazy. So uh, yeah, have a good day. All right. Have you said, have you surpassed your childhood dreams as an adult at this point? I'm living them. I'm living them. Okay, good answer. And good that's answer. crazy. Yeah, that's crazy to me when I think about it. Like this is literally my dream and I'm and I'm in that dream. It's my reality now, right? Mm. It's it's insane. Good. Yeah, that, that, I can tell you really are passionate about it. I'm glad you're on that path. Uh, choose three people to complete this question. Somebody, one, who's been a mentor to you, somebody who's your equal, and somebody you could mentor. Ooh. We mm. call this section the rapid fire. Right. Somebody who's so been many. a mentor to you. Somebody who's been... Uh, I could just say I could name so many people I have so many influences uh, I would say of course my mother I think is my first mentor mm-hmm. I've learned a lot of 
great and amazing lessons from her growing up. She was a single mother of four children. Uh, we lived in the projects and all of us have graduated high school, graduated college. We all have at least one degree. My oh. sister and I have advanced degree. So she, I've learned from her struggles, right? And that's part, partially why and how I'm here today. Like seeing her strength has given me what I needed to, to know that despite all the things, like I can do it and she did it. So I would say that as the mentor. Okay. Uh, what's the second part? Somebody who's your, would you say is your equal? Somebody you consider like a good friend? Somebody who, who knows your struggle? Um, hmm. That's a hard reward. Uh, there's so many, so many. I think I'll say my oldest friend. So Chrissy, she's my oldest friend. And we have different life paths, but I think the fact that early on as a child, like six years old, right? Having her and her family in my corner, it just made all the difference. Again, living in the projects, you, you know, you need people. And I think it was evident that we, my family, we were different. We didn't really fit in all the time. Mm. And Chrissy was always there to make sure nobody bothered me and just kind of showed me, like helped me with my street smarts, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think when it comes that like to my equal, Chrissy would be like that's the that's the first first person she was the first person who 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 made it okay to for me to be smart in the projects for me okay. to have dreams in the projects and not make me not clown me for it right yeah and then um, someone I'd mentor yep that's I think I'm an ex a good example for a couple couple people. Uh, one I can think of, I call her BH. Her name's Ashley. She's in my uh, sorority as well, came through my chapter. And she's actually in PA school right now, I believe, okay. at, um, I think it's Morehouse PA school or okay. something. I think it's something like that. And she's absolutely killing it. And whenever I post things, she calls me um, Dr. Sister. <laughs> Dr. Sister or something. <laughs> it's just crazy. But she... If nobody loves me in this world, Ashley loves me. <laughs> and she always just tells me how much of an example I am to her to keep going, to keep moving. And so, and it's not that I directly mentor her, but I know that what I do has an impact and an influence on her life and a couple other people as well. And so, and I check in with her and I make sure she's good and I send her these encouraging thoughts and ideas and I engage with what she puts out there, right? She has these questions about, you know, if someone comes in the hospital with this, what is it? I'm trying to put, <laughs> like, did I get it right? He's like, yeah, you got to like, hey, just put my name on the bottom of your, you your like, diploma or something because yeah. I mean, I can sure be a two together. Yes. <laughs> you know? so, yeah. Okay. Okay, I like those answers. Now I watched a TikTok earlier today and I heard this woman say that her friends are triggered when a man says, since I have to spend all my money on you and dating to get to know you, what do you bring to the table? Now, as a veteran of marriage, you said you, you survived it one time, so I think we've all been there. My question is, should women have to show a man that she's wife material, or is it just all on a man to show, hey, I'm a provider? What's your thoughts on that? I, 
relationships, any relationship is an exchange, right? Yeah. Is an exchange thoughts and ideas and communication and all these things, right? It's a hundred, a hundred. It's not 50, 50. You're not bringing half yourself to the relationship. You bring your whole self to the relationship. And when you're in that courting phase, right? When you're trying to understand or get a feel for this person, you absolutely want to show them what you have to offer. And that doesn't mean show all your cards, right? That's not it because you'll find yourself burnt out if you do that every single time. But it's up to you to decide how much you're going to extend, how much of yourself you'll extend to a person. And if you feel incrementally, and then if you feel that things are progressing, then you show a bit more and you show a bit more. But I think it's absolutely important for both men and women to say, I'm into you. I like you. And I want you to experience what I have to offer so that you know by the time we make it official, whether that's, you know, starting a relationship and or uh, engaging uh, engagement, you know, preparing for marriage, that you know exactly what you're getting. Like you can't, you can't hide your cards forever and so I think for men and women you have to trust that the person you're courting will know what to do with what you're presenting Mm. but you also have to know when said person is also taking advantage of it and when to depart and I think that departing piece is what gets a lot of people because they stay well like way longer than they need to or they should and then they get hurt in the end and then blame the person and all all those types of things right so I think when it comes to that if a man is is showing it so we're traditional right a man is courting you taking you out to dinner and all those types of things i think for women you then respond to that you have to respond to that it requires a response and that response could be i don't know a gift it could be you planning the next date you paying for the next date or you know what it could be those things right but it's, it's most definitely an exchange it can't be all like give and or all take right. and i think that's what people forget you know it's an investment on both parts and you both have to invest your time into each other so that you understand better who you're dealing with and if you want to deal with them long term mm-hmm. so. yeah well i can tell you from my uh talk to a lot of guys guys tend to think man it's like we just come out of pocket all the time and if they don't like us you know what they lose you know she should come over and show man she clean the house or something she's cook a fool you know but i think it's society's kind of set that up where you know you got to show the woman you love her and all that stuff and or a woman can slap you in the face you can never hit a woman back all that stuff so like you said i mean i don't believe in i don't believe in physical altercations on either part right i think that's very it's childish you know there are ways that you can express yourself without hitting someone um but I think you also have to consider sometimes, not all the time, sometimes men may bring this on themselves because of masculinity. So this, so, so what I'm saying is, sure, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. And I'm not saying all, I'm saying some, right? They know who they are. If, (laughs) (laughs) if there was a woman who approached sought interest and said, I would like to take you on a date, you would probably, you would feel weird because that's not how it's supposed to go, uh, right? That's a challenge uh, to your masculinity. Not some, or not uh, all, but some. I'm cool with that. And so there are some men 
who say, you know, if I'm supposed to, you know, provide, if I'm supposed to do, if I'm supposed to lean into that masculinity and the woman allows them to do that, right? If they, if, if they say, like for me, I say, I can pay. I can, I can pay. I bring my wallet every time I go somewhere. I'm never waiting for you to, to, I'll pull my card out before you pull yours out. Mm-hmm. But so many times men are saying, no, you don't got to pay. Like, I actually do that. Or if I do put my card out, they get offended. Like, why would you, you know? And so it's like, well, shoot, do you want me to contribute or don't you? And if you do, then how am I supposed to know, right? So I think I think that misconception or that bit is lack of communication. Mm-hmm. I think that's one, lack of communication. So it's totally okay for a man to want his wife, his girlfriend or whatever to pay if that's communicated. But if every time I pull my card out, you tell me put it back, eventually I'm going to stop pulling my card out. Mm-hmm. And so right. then when you start feeling like, like you're paying, 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 then your butt hurt because I'm not pulling my card out anymore, but you, you keep telling me not to do it. So I think right. that's communication, yes. a lack of communication to say, or I don't know, make it agreement every 10 dates i don't know who's keeping track of this but something but i think a lot of times you see this breakdown in relationships because that lack of communication and you're assuming your partner can read your mind and they can't so if you tell me oh i plan the dates or you know okay then you plan all the dates then but don't get upset when i'm not planning dates because you told me that you were planning all the dates yeah (laughs) right and and same thing for women same thing for women right if if you buy the groceries and you keep buying the groceries and the, the man never buys them, you can't get mad because you keep buying all the groceries. Just tell him that you want him to buy the groceries or just tell him that you want him to take the trash out. Just tell, you know, communicate. Yeah. Have to communicate. And I think if people effectively communicated rationally, right, without being accusatory, without all this extra stuff and clicky clacky and, and clapping and all that stuff. And, you know, mm-hmm. if you did that effectively where people would be open to receiving what you're saying, a lot of these issues would not. And then being okay with someone not agreeing with what you're saying. That's the other part too. Yeah, I just don't th- think that really happens too much because we don't even have uh, relationship classes and our formative years when, when people really need to know how to treat each other. So you kind of left up to seeing what your uncles did or what your parents did. And you kind of repeat yeah. that cycle a lot of times. And then you're in a relationship and a guy will even tell a girl what he wants. Just tell her, if you just, I just want to be casual dating friends, whatever, say that. But that don't always happen like that. And then of course we know the situations where some women would just save a dude's uh, name as Olive Garden because that's all she do. I was want Olive Garden with you and that's it. I mean, the same, it's, 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 it's either there or there, but this is about you. I'm sorry. Let's just get back to this. Oh, no, it's good. <laughs> the last thing I'll say is just make your expectations clear too. You know, yeah. like no, no undercover thing. Just make your expectations clear. And I thought you were going to talk about that meme where um, the guy's like, oh, if I take you out, then I'm expecting sex or something. I'm like, oh my God. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. thought you were going there. That's no, for no. another day. Yeah. Yeah. Because. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's a whole show. Uh, do you think women are smarter than men? Just between me and you? No, oh, right. Between me and you. I think that's, women that's... and men think differently. Oh, very I political. Okay. They, they think differently. And in many cases, I think it's by design that they think differently because of how they're receiving their information and who they receive it from. Mm. So I don't think necessarily smarter than. I think women think differently than men. Men think differently from men. And this is why you, when you come together, you find your person, it's supposed to work because right. you think it's supposed to be 
you know, align in some way. (laughs) Yeah. As long as as there is mutual respect and love, I think the relationships Uh tend to thrive a little better because I don't expect you to to be like me. I expect you to compliment me. So I think that's something, again, I'm writing a relationship book, so I'm kind of throwing some stuff in there. But, uh, and you might want to check for that next year. It's called Women Are Crazy or Do Men Make Them That Way? Oh, oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But, uh, so, so tell me this. What does your guy like about you? How would he describe you? Oh, wow. Let me ask him real quick. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think, well, he likes who I am, right? Mm-hmm. He yeah. likes. You know, my mind, he likes the way that I think, you know, he, he said I could care less if he had a PhD or not. Right. But I mm-hmm. think having fun and just being able to articulate my thoughts and my feelings, I think he likes that. I, um, I know that he likes that I am rational and I listen, right. I mm. am understanding. And those are things that a lot of people don't get in relationships. And I think that the fact that like he I've created that safe space for him to be himself I think he I know that he really likes that right mm-hmm. um he likes my humor he likes my personality um yeah he he likes that I'm just I'm not in one box sometimes he calls me difficult with the way that I think because I'm just not traditional right mm-hmm. but I think he likes that I'm just I can't be placed in one box what do you, you know, mean by you're not traditional? You, you don't wear dresses or you wear uh, Crocs all the time? What are you saying? Well, I wear anything I want. So I can, you know, dress it up, dress it down and, you know, make it look good, whatever okay. it is. Yeah, but yeah. I mean more so like traditionally thinking, right? The way that I move, those types of things. I'm always going against the status quo. If you tell me that the sidewalk is made for walking, then I'm walking in the street because I could do that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You yeah so, so you're free. Like you're free. Okay, yeah, yeah, I've always been free, a free-spirited person. My mother calls me her free-spirited child all the time. Mm-hmm. She's not surprised by anything that I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's all on brand for me. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think those are things. Just being able to, just to be me freely and allow him to be him freely. I think that's that's like top tier. <laughs> okay. All right. Good. Good enough. Uh, next question. We got two left. What's your favorite book, movie, or series? Either one. So I'll, I'll say my favorite series because I was just talking about this. They So I don't watch TV often. Okay. Definitely not during the year because I have so much work and I'm reading. So my TV rarely comes on. And I feel guilty about watching TV sometimes because of my program. I know, it's crazy. But when I do watch TV, I... I watch a lot of documentaries. I, yeah. Like most women in the world, I watch crime stuff, right? Oh, my um, women like and- that stuff? <laughs> then go to sleep at night looking at you. <laughs> okay. But I watch um, a lot of documentaries, a lot of animal documentaries. And there was this series called Zoo that was on Netflix. Right. And it's Look not it on anymore. I it was it. 2017, I think. And so Zoo. they still advertise it. But I absolutely loved it because it was animals, it was action, it was just, it was my kind of TV. Zoom? And it's, it's like yeah, a it's horror movie or something, or no, 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 it's or a, a series. Zoom? So it's, it's a couple oh, series, okay. a couple seasons. 
Okay. And um, it's it follows this doctor, I forget his name, but his family, they were in Africa working with animals and things like that. And there's like this outbreak and animals are literally running loose and just doing strange things in the world, all over the world. And they got to figure out why and uh, find cures for this. Like It was it was insane. Think of like Walking Dead like animals. Okay, all right. <laughs> but not really, but kind of. Yeah. But it was, I absolutely loved it. And they, they didn't continue it on for a new season. I was just heartbroken. And so that's, that was probably my favorite series. I'm not a series person. I'd rather watch a movie or one documentary. But that series, I was certainly into. I also been watching Jurassic Park, uh, Jurassic World series on Netflix. It's a new series on Netflix that they have. It's like that's Camp the cartoon? Crustaceous. Oh, the real <laughs> Oh, the cartoon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Camp okay. Crustaceous. I just watched all season five of that. Because okay. that's also my favorite. Yeah, I took past that. All right. My final question in this round is, do you think racism is a, a real thing for Black people? Or are we just kind of responsible for our own uh, problems sometimes? Or, or is it even hard being a Black woman? I don't hear you tell me that a lot, of course. So we kind of call it on problem? I think we do sometimes now. But I think that we have to always, you should have asked this question first. Um, but I think we have to realize the effects of racism and how it has transformed over time, over the course of centuries, mm. to what it is presenting itself with now and those impacts and implications of past time periods on now. I think that when we think about racism in America, we know that it is ever present. And 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 we know this because of people who come from other countries who oh, say, yeah. I didn't even I didn't even realize my skin color or anything until I got here because oh, yeah. race is the thing here, right? Yeah, and not yeah. where they come from. So it very much is alive and it just looks differently than it did. Have we progressed since? Sure, for sure. But I don't think we can disregard those experiences to say at this moment, Black people in America, descendants of enslaved people are causing their own demise. I think the system that is America has built on a lot of they've built a lot of entities on slavery oh, and yeah. injustices that continue to produce certain types of people and situations that we continue to find ourselves in it very much so is and was a business and it still is a business yeah so while black people ha are you know kind of raging against the machine excuse me, raising against the machine with, you know, black owned businesses and all these types of things, we got to consider the hardship of that happening and how difficult and uh, the obstacles that have been in place and, and still in place that prevented them from doing this before the pandemic, right? Before the nineties, right? So, so I, I say it's a bit of both. Of course, we can't hold ourselves responsible responsible for everything that every black person does you know no other race does that i think except black people um but what we can do is commit to bettering ourselves and fighting against the system that we experience every day and i think sometimes people want to discredit racism and the effects of racism in america because because it's not enough data but experience 
scientists are very much so data, right? Mm-hmm. You have a whole a whole group of people saying, look, we saw UFO. Like a hundred people said they saw UFO. They probably did see a UFO or something that looked like it. Like mm-hmm. it's it, it's all <laughs> yeah. right. And so, so if you have people like in academia who say, you know, I have been discriminated against. I have felt this way. And you have all these people from different universities, different institutions saying the same thing. It has, there has to be some validity to it. So mm-hmm. some of it is us, some of it is the system, but that doesn't mean we stop fighting. That doesn't mean we stop pushing for everything that we deserve as mm-hmm. black people in America. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that we've kind of come some way because I, I really don't think we have come as far as, say, other people have, because when you think about it, when we go back to the, the, that question I asked you about Malcolm and Martin, the same things they were fighting for then, they're still fighting for now. The game changed mm-hmm. from slavery to Jim Crow to mass incarceration. So then mm-hmm. you're still having the, the first black person doing this, the first black person doing that. When you think about it, we weren't brought over here to ever be an equal. And if people say, well, you know, that was a long time ago. We're doing this now. Well, if that's the case, why is the Constitution not rewritten, dismantled? Because a long time ago, that was written for a different type of people who didn't even know what's going to turn into this. And we're it's like we're fighting a battle that you can't win because you can't prepare for it because you don't know what to do. So it's just a dichotomy. I think we're fighting a battle that we feel like we can't win because it looks, the enemy looks different. Right, the enemy is now, and I use enemy loosely because I know that's a charged word, but we're dealing with individual mindsets and individual actions that Mm. people can now say, oh, it's not all people, it's this person, it's this person's preference, it's this person's idea. When in reality, this person represents a large part of people who can make decisions, who can determine and alter, right? Where you go, how you get there, when when you get there, right? Yeah. So I think that's the hard part now is it's not, you know, racism and Jim Crow. It was evident, like these people and those people. It's now, now that it's been ingrained in our legislative system, now it's in our, you know, they've made the prison a business and you oh, got to yeah. keep the bodies of kids right now it's, yep. it's different because it's so deeply embedded in these structures so it looks different and, and we how do you come up against a mindset or, or of something that somebody could say oh well that's that's just them like how, how do you fight against that like how there's no laws to say that you've been discriminated against so how can you say you've been discriminated against just because someone treated you how you feel to be un- what you perceive to be unfair like that mm-hmm. that's like it's coming they're trying to make it more ambiguous than what it is so um and you said something else that i wanted to to comment on and i can't i can't think about it now i've been talking so much <laughs> Uh-oh. it'll probably come back to you i guess for me i think the, the key is i don't believe it's in voting now, i'll tell everybody i don't believe this system it, it's not for me uh, but people can do what they want to do because i think the key is unity if, if everybody who thought like me or felt similar to me said, hey, you know what? We're not going to Walmart on Fridays. No black people or people who feel this is a problem. Not going to... I guarantee you laws will change real quick because I heard a politician say the other day, he said, you know, they said, are you corrupt? He said, I really want to say I'm corrupt, but I would say I have a lot of things I want to get done. But in order for me to get into politics, I have to go to people with money because it costs a lot of money to get in the game. The people with money want something 
And when they want something, I have to get them something back. So once I get in the position that I want it, I got to pay it back so I can continue to pay it forward. That right there, let me know that mm, I'm going to do it another way. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I, I black people and that's, I think that's the biggest downfall of black people. But again, we got to think about why, why can't black people unify like other cultures? Right. Well, that's easy. Yeah. Because right, we, right. For you and I, that's easy. Right. right yeah. We don't own um, nothing. But, but there are people who don't believe, who don't see that connection. And so I tell, like, How people know, especially these, especially these big corporations, they know the power of the black dollar. Yeah. They know that in 2020, uh, George Floyd, he, he was killed on my birthday, 2020, May 25th. And all these corporations and big businesses came out with these statements and stuff. Yep. I'm not going to say that they didn't believe what they were saying or wasn't going to follow through, but they know the power of the black dollar. Yeah. And I think if black people understood that and realized that the power that they have, even in voting, Stacey Abrams, I'm pretty sure she's going she gonna to be in there. Mm-hmm. Right. But the numbers of black people, when we unify and get behind something and, and we are that united front, things yeah. most definitely will change because we had the power to do it but i think for so long people have been silenced and scared and afraid because of what's been done that they're not or, or things aren't happening as quickly as they want them to happen and they lose faith and they lose you know that fire that they have and i think that would be the biggest downfall of black people today the other thing i was going to say was when you were mentioning out so long ago and i was just on ruby bridges's uh instagram page and so when people because they're um in dc here they are doing a movie about uh civil rights i think leader or something like that. i can't remember the name but but they're including an insert of ruby bridges walking to school and, and you mm. know integration and stuff like that and so um the newspapers here were kind of circulating those images and, I, and i'm like ruby bridges that was what 60 years ago that or yeah, that wasn't yeah, that long yeah. ago right yeah so when you talk about oh so long ago it actually wasn't that long ago right right? these issues were not that long ago and these people these little they're kids like if you go to her page you'll see you know some some clips and excerpts from documents there are children and kids out there talking about n-words this and we don't want to be with them and and you think they're not that old no, you know, no, that's it's definitely it. that mindset is still there. So I, I it annoys me when people say oh, it's been so long, it's been so in the past. Slavery, yes. Uh, segregation, no. <laughs> yeah. Right? Which, mm-hmm. which stems from, comes from, right? And we have not addressed those things in America. And so it's impossible to move people. When people say, oh, because of Barack Obama, we're in a post-racial society. We are not. We are not. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I don't know who told you that, but we aren't. Uh, we're definitely still in a racial society and we have to address it and have these conversations and deal with it in order to move forward. I am optimistic about Xavier's generation. So this Gen Alpha, uh, I think the oldest Gen Alpha may be 11 or 12 or something right and Xavier's like the tail end of this this gener- that generation but I'm optimistic with them because I think that they are being pro- provided the tools that they need and, and they're getting really sound instruction and you know all those influences are a bit more positive so that they can hopefully restart all this and give us a, a better start 
So, because I know that's my charge as her mother, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm definitely going to tell, she's going to know her history. She's going to know the history of, of America and being a black girl here. But the difference is, I'm not telling you to blame anyone. I want you to know where you where where you're coming from, my experiences, your grandmother experiences, so you can understand how to navigate better and not have these things be obstacles for you, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Well, that, that's interesting because uh, as a former school teacher myself, I, I'm, I stay abreast on what's going on, and a lot of times they're trying to remove history that they really didn't tell. Well, they told his story, but they really didn't tell things, and now they're just trying to delete it. So we don't want to. You know, talk about the negative things that have happened. Okay, yeah, but it's still happening now. So they try to remove all that. So I guess I'm, I have a different perspective on it. I, I'm just, I look around the world and I see so many things happening that I've never seen before. I mean, the violence, mm -hmm. the, the, these people are killing each other like like never before. It's like time is speeding up and it's just crazy. But, you know, it's, it's going to be what it is. So anyway, you know what? We've come to the end of the show. <laughs> We could talk for hours, but uh, we got to wrap it up here. We Go could. ahead. T tell the people again where they can find your social uh, media footprint at if they want to follow up with you, meet more about your story, or just follow your journey. Where can they find you at? Oh, yeah. So I do have a website, uh, renatadominique.com. That is my website, and it has some of my publications on there, what I'm doing, my research. And I also, I'm on Instagram at loxgalore, L-O-C-S-G-A-L-O-R-E. And I document me, my journey, me my, as a mom, you know, anything that I'm going through, I'm definitely going to start documenting my this section of my phd journey a bit more so you can find me there i'm on tiktok but uh, that's not popping that much so <laughs> yeah. instagram is kind of where it, it, it all goes down and then i just kind of disseminate to to the other socials if i remember so yeah okay is there any closing thoughts you can give anybody who might want to follow your path and become a phd anything you want to tell them i do i want to tell them to always follow their their dreams right follow your dreams and don't count yourself out because there's too many people in the world who already may do that so don't you can't count yourself out when there's so many people who will already right don't make your life harder for you than it already has to be i want you to remember that you are control of you don't give anybody else control over what you say, how you say it, how you react. I want everything that you do to be because you wanted to do it, not because someone else made you do it. And that's super, super important for me. And always, always remember to smile, look up at the sun, soak in those rays because the sun absolutely recharges you and gives you that joy that you may have lost along the way. Mm -hmm. All right, I like that too. Well, before we close, I'd just like to add that here at the What's Up Award podcast, we always say everybody has a story to tell. We just want to know yours. We thank you, future doctor, for sharing yours with us today. And I would like to say uh, also, reiterate what you said, never give up. Uh, your dreams are important and they can take you a long way. It may take you longer than others, but keep clapping for everybody else until it's your turn. So that being said, peace.